Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Final four, nothing personal word of the day. Today is Monday, October 18th. We are more than halfway through October. Final four, as in there are only four teams left in Major League Baseball. I don't know how CBS got final four to be associated so deeply with NCAA. Maybe it had nothing to do with CBS, and it's always been final four for the NCAA tournament. But that's how I was associated with college basketball or men's, women's. But to me, semifinals, Final Four, those are synonyms. League Championship Series, that's what it is in baseball. Are you staying up late? I am. You know, I don't like that people don't understand why I am upset about four-hour games. The problem with four-hour games is that people are not watching. And we talk about it so much internally. And people say, no, don't worry. It's the playoffs. People watch anything. It's a tight game. Don't you worry. Well, when you have to watch until midnight every day on the East Coast, because your favorite team is on the East Coast, and who are the teams playing? Atlanta's East Coast. Red Sox are East Coast. Houston is Central, and Dodgers are West. So people in L.A. are fine. I'm not fine. I don't think it's fair to tell someone to allocate one-sixth of their day every day to a baseball game. And that's assuming no sleep. Assuming people are semi-normal and get, let's say, five hours of sleep. Let's say four hours is a normal night's sleep. So if you get four hours of sleep, that is like a whole night of sleep you're missing by watching the game. That means you're only up for 20 hours and you're doing four twentieths, one-fifth of your day spent on a game. Now, the games have been really good, but I think baseball is going to start paying attention to some of our suggestions from back in the day of how to get the game rolling. If I see one more guy step out of the box and rearrange the gloves, Jose Altuve with the Astros puts the gloves on, puts the gloves off. He opens the strap, closes the strap. After every pitch, you're out of the box, four steps. The rule is you cannot leave the box. One foot must be in the batter's box at all times. Pitch clock, we need it. Half the relievers take 30 seconds between pitches. I wanted and advocated for an eight-second pitch clock. Throw the ball. That's it. Anyway, the games are interesting. I want to point out a few things that are going on inside the front office while the playoffs are going on. When you play every day, baseball is every day. So there's an off day. <laughs> That's funny. They're every day, but there's an off day. You play two games, then you get off. Then you play three games, and then you get off, and then you play two games. That's the 2-3-2 two, two nature of a seven-game series. The off days are not enough given the number of pitchers that are being used and given the time of year and given the time of COVID. And we are now witnessing what we predicted would happen here at Nothing Personal before this season started, that there would be a major 
quality drop-off in both hitting and pitching. And I don't mean that someone can't get hot like Kike Hernandez of the Red Sox. I'm talking about generally when you had a 60-game season in 2020, it is very difficult for pitchers who go from 80 innings in a year or 100 innings up to 150 or 170. It's difficult for hitters who had all of those months off, the two spring training, spring training part two last year that you remember, come back, have a full season, and now they're still going into October. Hitters look tired to me. Pitchers look tired to me. That is why what people are blaming analytics for is actually not analytics at all. It is physically impossible for these pitchers to go longer than they're going. Starting pitchers can't get through five innings anymore. And it's not as though the analytics people say, hey, don't let him go three times through a lineup. Just don't do that because the numbers all of a sudden go from hitting 180 to 240. You can't do it. What's really happening is what Max Scherzer said after last night's game, being pulled after 79 pitches, four and a third innings, in a tie game, he doesn't fight Dave Roberts for the ball. He doesn't say he can't come out. He acknowledges after the game, my arm was dead. And I knew it from the first pitch I threw in the bullpen before the game started. So here's what happens. When a pitcher goes out to warm up, Let's go back even a little bit. The pitcher shows up the day he's pitching, checks in with the trainer first. How you doing? Shoulder, elbow, knees, toes, good. Then pitching coach comes in. Pitching coach sits with the pitcher. They go over the game plan for that particular day, for that particular game. The catcher is a part of that meeting. Then the pitcher loosens up, doesn't throw a ball yet, and then heads out to start the process of getting ready to pitch. The process for each starter is different, but the majority of them start with a non-mound toss. A non-mound toss is a flat toss, is another way to say it. And it's when a pitcher starts throwing from 40 feet, 60 feet, 80 feet. Some pitchers like going into a long toss of 120 feet before they actually get on the mound. And you've got a pitching coach, a bullpen coach, sometimes the manager, sometimes the general manager, sometimes the president, Always the bullpen pitching coach and catcher are out there and they can see immediately how the pitcher is doing because the pitcher is giving everybody real time updates, especially this time of year. You know, in April, when it's your third start, you're doing it. But in June, when you've been out there, maybe people are a little tired. You're 40 games back. You're not paying as much attention. Maybe you're a little negligent, but in the postseason, no way. Everybody is focused on every single pitch and every single player. So Scherzer knew before he even threw the first pitch off a mound in warm-up that his arm was not working right. And why should it be? This guy's no spring chicken. And only three days earlier, he had completed game five of the National League Division Series, getting the save in very stressful, in-between start, highly leveraged situation. And instead of bringing him back for game one, when he said, I can't throw game one, but I'm ready for game two. The Dodgers, when they assigned Max Scherzer game two, assumed that he would be good for 90 plus pitches. But when he starts to warm up, he says his arm is dead. All of a sudden that 90 goes down to 70. That is when you meet with your GM 
and you start going through the pitching plan. What's next? How are we going to line up the pitching for this particular game when we know no matter how well it's going, Scherzer's not going deep. And the reality is when you're only throwing 70 pitches, you may last three innings. You just don't know. And that's when it was decided by the Dodgers that Julio Urias would pitch yesterday. Now, Urias, you may recall, is the guy who was supposed to start game five, but then didn't. And the opener, Corey Knable, started the bullpen guy who ended up starting game one, by the way, against the Braves. Urias is supposed to pitch game four. Okay, what was he doing in the game yesterday? So the answer is in between starts, pitchers throw bullpens. Not all pitchers, 99.9% of pitchers throw bullpens. You know who doesn't? Shohei Otani. He's tired. Can you blame him? But most pitchers do throw bullpens. That's when day three. So you pitch day off. And then the next day or the next day, you could throw a bullpen. When regular rest, I want to do some math for everybody. Regular rest when you are a starting pitcher, you pitch on a Monday, you take off Tuesday, you rest or throw a bullpen Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and you pitch again Saturday. So Monday and then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, that's called four days rest. So when someone tells you, hey, he's pitching on three days rest, that means when you pitch Monday, You don't pitch Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and you pitch again Friday. Regular rest would have you pitch Monday and Saturday. That's the difference between three days rest and four days rest. So how do these pitchers then pitch on even shorter than three days rest? Well, that's called a bullpen day. Some players like doing their bullpen on day two, bullpen day on day two. So you pitch Monday, they're going to give you a bullpen on a Wednesday. Some will even give you a bullpen on a Thursday. Nobody gives you a bullpen on a Tuesday. That's the day after you pitch. And after your bullpen, pitchers usually take one day and then they're ready for their start. During the postseason, we do not let starting pitchers ever take their bullpen, not in a game. During the regular season, bullpens happen before the game. They literally happen in the bullpen. Sometimes we let them on the regular mound, but we really don't like to because then you have to pay the grounds crew to come deal with the mound and refix it before the game, before batting practice. So generally, bullpens in between starts are done actually in the bullpen. But during the postseason, when you need all of your starters to be available out of the bullpen in relief during the game, you save the bullpen. So someone like Urias was going to throw yesterday no matter what. You throw him during the game. And that helps your staff. It doesn't mean the result is always going to work. And the result didn't work. Urias gave up the lead. But the theory was correct. So Robert should not be criticized for using Urias. He should not be criticized for taking out Scherzer. It is stitching together like a paper mache project in sixth grade for Mrs. Shermer. You are stitching together nine innings, 27 outs from now until you're eliminated or hoist the trophy. How badly does Freddie Freeman need a day off? Not going to get it. Today's actually day off. He gets it. Game off. Take that back, Coca. 10-12-69. Wipe it. How badly does Freddie Freeman need a day off? How great is it that he gets that day, which is a travel day in the National League Championship Series with the Braves up 2-0, and Freddie Freeman 
their MVP, two-hole hitter, best hitter, set a record for the most strikeouts ever to start a league championship series. He struck out seven times in a row. 0 for 4, game one, 4 Ks. This is Freddie Freeman, a guy who can hit a golf ball that is out of a pitching machine with a bat. This guy has eyes that are 25. Is that better than 2020, Coca? I just totally made that up. I'm not, I'm not an ophthalmologist, but I know that 2100 stinks. So I figured that below 2020, like 2010, 25, 20-2, that's how good Freeman's eyes are. If you talk to Freddie Freeman, you can have a very fascinating conversation. And I've had these conversations with him. And it, he and Barry Bonds are the two guys who I've spoken to the most who see spin on a ball earlier than anyone else. And that's, of course, how you can be a successful hitter. Anyway, for whatever reason, Freeman has dust in his eye, striking out. Only three times in his career has Freddie Freeman struck out three plus times in back-to-back games. Three times in his whole career. And this is no rookie. 2016 was the last time this happened. Before that, 2012. But 2016 is five years ago. And now it happened in the first two games of the National League Championship Series. And then if you just came down from Mars or you couldn't stay up four hours to watch a game or you don't get box scores on your phone, you'd say to me, wow, you just said the best player on the team set the record for strikeouts, did something he's never done. What did you say the score of the series was? Two nothing Atlanta on two walk offs. I would love to have had Austin Riley on the Marlins. Do you know the the uh, bullpen, the uh, bullpen strike that Coke? Come on. It's Monday. Ready? Vocal exercises. Me, 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 me. Ah. Me, 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 me. Ah. Okay. Do you know the infield with the Atlanta Braves that nobody's talking about is probably the best infield of any team left? When you go around the horn and you've got Riley and Swanson and Albies and Freeman, who do you want? You want Turner and Seeger and Turner? And who at first? Bellinger? Muncie would have been good. Pujols, forget about it. Altuve and Correa and Bregman, pretty good. And Guriel, I like them. I still think the Braves may have the best infield left. All right, I forgive you for not watching. Just start watching now, okay? Baseball has some big news today. Big news. Statements galore. Get ready for the topic because someone asked a question. What do you got, Coca? You know what I want? I want to talk to Samson. So you want to talk to Samson. Get in there and watch Half-Baked. Go to a dispensary where it's legal. Watch the movie. There's a character named Samson. Get into my Twitter, David P. Samson. Ask me any question you want. Write in direct message. It's open to the public. Here it is. Can you please explain what kind of housing minor leaguers in Major League Baseball will now get and whether or not this has anything to do? I can't read it, but I'm going to. Okay, ready? Thank you for asking this. And whether or not it has anything to do with the collective bargaining agreement. You got me. Who asked that question? All right, let me explain what's going on. The reason your question was chosen is because you nailed it. You are an apprentice on this show. You get it. You get the show. All right, here's the situation. Remember all the TikToks and 
and Instagram, Facebook stories of minor leaguers living in total squalor, eating crappy food like taco smell. Are they a sponsor, Coca? Burritos. Did you see Jenny Dell, the CBS TikTok person? She's the CBS sideline reporter on HQ throwing burritos into the stands. It became huge on TikTok. Anyway, it was funny. That's Will Middlebrooks' wife, by the way, who's another CBS Sports HQ guy, who you watch do the ACLs, ALCS preview. In any case, you've seen pictures all, all over this year. Minor leaguers not living well. Minor leaguers not paid enough. Minor leaguers have to get more jobs. And I've given you story upon story about why we treat we, they, we, when I was a we, now I'm a they, when I would treat minor leaguers the way I treated them. Because more than half of them are not prospects. And they're there because they love playing baseball and they're getting paid a stripple. That's the incorrect Yiddish word. They're getting paid a little stipend, a little eh, and everyone's all upset. All of these huge groups of advocates started going public. Treat the minor leaguers better. They tried suing because they felt as though they were not getting paid overtime. That didn't work because they said they were at the park early, at the park late, and their hourly wage was $4 because of what they get paid. Following their dreams, all the former major league players are on their Twitter accounts saying how horrible it is that minor league players are treated this way and then showing pictures. My friend Tommy Kohler showed a picture of how he used to live as a minor leaguer saying it's barbaric. If you were in a suite in the Four Seasons, my guess it would have looked the same. Now, I'm being accused of being cold-hearted. It's not a matter of being cold-hearted. It's a matter of being practical of what the reality is of business conditions for people who are not required for your business. But so much attention was paid. The teams came out and said, all right, Astros were first. We're going we're gonna to help with housing. All minor league players, we're going to figure it out. The advocacy groups were happy. Which other teams were going to follow suit? Well, yesterday, Major League Baseball, in a sweeping announcement, sweeping, I say, smartly, came out with the following announcement. MLB is engaged in a multi-year effort to modernize the minor league system and better assist players as they pursue their dreams of playing in the major leagues. In 2021, we increased the salaries for minor leaguers, wait for this, by 38 to 72%. When people, here's just a little side note for everyone out there. When people want to manipulate you, they can either put dollar amounts or percentages, and it's totally misleading. I would do this. Let me give you an example. When we would have 3,000 season ticket holders, and the next year, we'd have 4,000 season ticket holders. I would make an announcement. I am so proud of the Miami market. Our season tickets are up 33%. But guess what? When you are at such a low number, increasing at such a big number still makes your number suck. 4,000 season ticket holders is embarrassing. Yes, I was a part of it. When you look at announcements that are done with percentages, someone says to you, hey, congratulations. People, I did this with people. People do it. Watch for it when your boss does it. 
when you go in for your raise and you're not making a lot of money, let's say you're making $35,000 and they say you got the biggest raise in the entire company. We're given 3% raises, but you got a 10% raise. You are now making $38,500. I'm so thankful. I'd like to thank my boss. And I'd like to thank the Academy and all those people who advocated for me to make more money because I'm now making 38.5 and I got a 10% raise. Yay, me. Horse hockey. Companies are manipulating you when they announce percentages. Minor league pay is up 38 to 72%. Why don't you go research? Because I'm not handing this to you on a silver platter, folks. Why don't you go take a look at what the salaries are in minor leagues? and what they were and what they are. And you're gonna realize, hey, that's not a lot of money. And I'm gonna say it's plenty, but it was for PR purposes that MLB increased the salaries. Let's keep going on the statement. In addition, hundreds of millions of dollars worth of improvements to minor league ballparks around the country are already underway. That doesn't impact players, who cares? Including substantial renovations to player facing facilities like locker rooms and training rooms. In mid-September, the owners discussed the issue of player housing. Let me tell you how that discussion went. They're in an owner's meeting, and they say, hey, we're getting a lot of crap from this minor league players association and all these people who are advocating for minor league housing and food. We got to do something. That's just bad PR. We don't like bad PR. So let's come up with a solution that enables us to give a great announcement about great change. And then we're going to work with the minor league advocacy groups and we're going to have them release statements of how great this is. Because we're going to tell them this is what we're doing. This is all we're doing. You're either with us or without us. And if I were you, I'd be with us. In mid-September, the owners discussed the issue of player housing and unanimously agreed. We always say it's unanimous. It doesn't mean anything unanimously agreed to begin providing housing to certain minor league players. (laughs) Just certain. Why do you put that in a document, in a statement? When you put the word certain in a statement, we're doing this to certain people. Certain people got 38 to 72% raises. Certain people will have the following benefits available to them, healthcare, et cetera, et cetera. That means it's likely not you. You are likely not a member of the certain. You're a member of the uncertain, the non-certain, the never will be certain. Why not just announce that you will begin providing housing to all minor league players? Why don't you announce it? Because you're not doing it that way. Some agent was on Twitter and responded to something I said. Good agent, maybe. Don't know him. Her. I don't know who it is. Don't even know that it's an agent. Said maybe it's complex people so let me let me explain complex players all teams have spring training complexes the marlins have their complex in jupiter roger dean stadium there is a minor league team that plays in jupiter a florida state league team the jupiter hammerheads we put the players up in a hampton inn that's where they play they get a room they share a room it's a tiny little hotel room and if they don't want to do it they can get their own housing and share housing find a place in Jupiter or Palm Beach, which is hugely expensive. But maybe 
if a player is rehabbing or assigned to the minor league complex, housing won't be provided except as it normally would be during spring training. So by the way, that's not housing. Maybe when there's a minor league team in Beloit or Appleton, Wisconsin, or other small towns where there are family stays, that's very common. There are families that actually host minor leaguers. But now you can get a cheap apartment, put four people in a one-bedroom apartment and be fine. It's nice. What about players who play in more expensive minor league cities? Certain minor league players will get housing. And then they had no choice but to say at the end of their statement, we are in the process of finalizing the details of that policy and expect it to be announced and in place for the 2022 season. Newsflash, the 2022 season starts like the day after tomorrow. It is October 18th today. The season starts for minor leaguers and major leaguers. Let's just call it February 15th. Let's even say February 18th. Four months from today, there will be a policy in place and it will be fully executed so that certain minor league players will have housing available to them. What do you think? The Marlins and all the other teams are going to go out and become real estate brokers? Is your theory that they're going to go buy buildings and retrofit them into dormitories in all of their minor league cities? Is it your theory that they are now going to be responsible to match up players and figure out, okay, you're going to live with him, you're going to live with him, and we're going to put you here, and we're going to put you there? NGTH, folks, not going to happen. I'm going to give you a way to see right now that'll make you smile, I promise you. You have not heard the last of the minor league housing issue. There's going to be issues with it. But why would MLB choose now to announce it? And this is where your question of so you want to talk to Samson was so good. There's collective bargaining going on right now. In collective bargaining, there are issues that the players want. There are issues that the owners want. When the players want an issue, they ask. And then the owners get to get something in return. When the players have an issue that is an absolute non-starter, they sit at the table and they don't compromise and they wait and they wait until MLB and the owners wear them down. This minor league housing issue was going to be a collective bargaining issue. The owners were going to have to accommodate in some way the non union members in the minor leagues, because in the minor leagues, when you're not on a 40 man roster, guess what? You're not represented by the major league baseball players association. All of the attention that these minor league players are getting these non union members by members of the union who say, Hey, we're here for you. We're here to help you. At the end of the day, in 18 years of watching bargaining happen, not one time did a major league player take something less for himself in order for a non-union member who was 18 or 19 years old to get something more. The top of the union would sometimes give to get the bottom of the union more money, like minimum salary at the major league level. But those are all union members. 
by baseball announcing that they're going to take care of this housing. It's not even a discussion that can in any way impact collective bargaining. This was done in such a Machiavellian way by Major League Baseball that I love it because they get to sit down at a table and say, hey, you're going to bring up minor leagues. We already took care of that. Now it's time for you to take care of something we want. We gave you something you want. Now you have to give us something we want. But Tony Clark may look at Rob Manfred and say, what you talking about? I had no interest in minor league housing. I just said I did. And then Bruce Mayer looks at Dan Hallam and says, come on. You're giving housing to minor leaguers and think we're giving in on something economic? We're too smart for that now, Commissioner. But history would say they're not. History would say that when baseball makes a move like this, it gets them something way, way bigger at the collective bargaining table. And that is what is happening. That's why the timing of this announcement was made. It's so beautiful. I love Major League Baseball. I love the game, but I love the negotiating. Great job. Great job getting minor league housing. <laughs> it's funny. Wait to see. It's an official wait to see, Coca. There are going to be more issues with minor league housing because all of a sudden, the minor leaguers are going to get there. Hey, how do I get the water on? Ooh, there's no hot water at all. Wait, is there an oven here? We come back, we're going to review the final season of Billy Bob Thornton's Goliath. And then we're going to have some NFL news that will make you smile because we get to talk about the Washington football skins. We'll be right back. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. Thank you for making it through the gauntlet that CBS puts in at the break. Thank you for downloading, rating, reviewing, whatever you're supposed to do when you listen to these shows. I appreciate you. Thank you for going on the YouTube channel and subscribing. How'd you like the live show on Thursday night? I couldn't breathe. I was schwitzing like Albert Brooks. At the end of the show, Coca said, go to bed, do something. You're a disgrace. Thank you, Coca, my hero. But I've had some juice, had some IVs, and I'm back, baby. Still watch a movie every day and TV series. I'm watching a bunch of TV series. Goliath is a series starring Billy Bob Thornton. It's in its fourth season and final season. He plays a lawyer and he plays Billy Bob Thornton. It's how I picture Billy Bob Thornton to be, actually, were he to be someone who I knew. And he takes on these big cases, but there's always mystery and there's always intrigue. And it has been a phenomenal series. 
but the fourth season is important and you don't need to watch the first three. They are independent seasons, but with the same cast. Now, it wouldn't be terrible to know what went on, but you don't have to. The fourth season's about opioids and big pharma. The next two days are going to be about that. I'm going to review a documentary tomorrow called Jacinta, which is on Hulu, which is also about opioid addiction. Goliath season four stars J.K. Simmons, the Academy Award winner from Whiplash and the unemployed guy from Up in the Air. You've seen him in a million things. And he plays the chairman of a big pharma company who comes up with Oxy. Bruce Dern plays his brother, a co-founder of this drug. And the season goes into pretty serious detail. And the reason I wanted to spend a minute on it is that you've heard enough about the opioid crisis. You know that players are dying. You know people are dying. The question is, has there ever been in history a better example of it's just business, it's nothing personal, than the big pharma, where they can spend billions of dollars in fines, and it's the same thing as finding Michael Jordan, $1,000? When they knowingly are producing something addictive, let's say like tobacco companies, drug companies, give the people what they want, right? Make them feel good even if they don't realize what they're doing, what they're getting into, because you're going to make money. Your stockholders are going to make money. When you make money, you spend that money and it flows through the economy. So Washington looks the other way until it can't anymore, until enough people are dead, and then it becomes a crime, and then people go to jail. But guess what happens in real life? Rich people from Big Pharma are still rich. What's a big deal on the news today doesn't impact their lifestyle, except when families lose people to opioids, when families lose people to prison because of the crimes they commit because they're addicted to opioids. Executives in the C-suite don't care. Goliath season four is about those executives and about the things they do to get you to do something without you even knowing you're doing it until it's too late. Please check out Goliath season four, final season. Thank you, Billy Bob, for the last four years. Okay, I got two NFL things to talk about here, Coca. The first one is back to the John Gruden situation. Do you remember last week that great John Gruden, he got fired? By the way, the new Raiders coach, whose name I can't remember, won his first game. He was all excited. First time he had coached, he actually coached in all of his 30 plus years. John Gruden and the NFL, and there was all that craze at the end of last week. Release the emails. The lawyers who represent the women who were harassed by the Washington football skins and Daniel Snyder specifically wanted all the emails released. The NFL Players Union and Players Association wanted emails released, thinking that that would show some light into some of the racism that exists in the hiring practices. The NFL gave you a little something when it's said that their general counsel, Jeff Pash, engaged in some questionable emailing with Bruce Allen. Check out last week's shows. But the NFL said, we got to do more here. 
because we're under a lot of pressure. Here's what we're going to do. And this is going to be brilliant. We're going to release a statement, everyone. Get ready. It's fine. It's a quick statement, but it's a good one. And here's what it is. <laughs> we're going to release a statement that says. That was a dramatic pause. The NFL has found no other current personnel that have sent emails with racist, homophobic, or misogynistic language like those written by John Gruden that led to his resignation as Las Vegas Raiders coach. That's according to a source. The NFL couldn't put its name behind that. Do you know why? Because it's not true. And if those emails ever do get released or they continue to get leaked and someone other than Jeff Pash and John Gruden and Bruce Allen, someone else gets implicated, the NFL has to have plausible deniability. The plausible deniability is, I didn't see it. No one told me. But by the way, get out there. And they call up their sources. Get out there. There's nothing else. Let's end this story. Let's nip this story in the bud. What do you think the odds are that in 650,000 emails, the 20 emails from John Gruden to Bruce Allen are the only ones that were questionable? And the 49 emails between Jeff Pash and Bruce Allen were the only ones that were questionable? Zero. That's what the odds are. So the NFL is in total crisis mode, and they're good at it. Unfortunately, there's a show called Nothing Personal. You guys are screwed. Yeah, no other current personnel. I'm sure that's the end of the story. We're never going to hear another thing about the emails. I'm sure when Roger Goodell called the lawyers for the women and called the Players Association and called Smith, the head of the Players Union, and said, hey, I promise you, we don't need to release them. But trust me, there's nothing there. I read through every one of them. 650,000 emails. I read every damn one. We're covered. We took care of the head of the snake. We got rid of Gruden. There's no fault guy other than that. Well, folks, there will be. This story is far, far from over. Thank God the weekend's over. So we did a show Thursday. And then we did the preview Thursday night that was released Friday. So we didn't do a Friday show. So I gave you my weekend picks on Thursday. And they were terrible. I'm only 16 games over 500 now. Hey, Coco, will you do some math quickly? What is one? I'm going to do it for you. I just want I'm 133 and 117. That's 133 divided by. 250, right? I'm only at 53% winning percentage. It's terrible. I had the Bucks beating the Eagles on Thursday night. Did you watch that game with Tom Brady? And you're telling me players don't know the lines and teams don't know the lines. Is that, I'm just asking, is that the suggestion? Everybody knows the lines. Every player who plays in every game knows the line. They always say they don't. Gambling is so prolific right now. There is such an issue. I'm starting to watch a new documentary this week. I'm going to watch Bad Sport. And one of the opening uh, episodes is about point shaving scandal with Arizona State University. 
You really think players with all the DraftKings and all the other stuff going on? The Eagles did a backdoor cover with a two-point conversion? Give me a break. Anyway, I thought the Giants would win Thursday and go on to win the World Series, but the Dodgers beat them. That's two losses. I thought that Evaldi was pitching game one on Friday night. He ended up pitching game two. He won game two. So do I get credit for that? How does that work, Coca? I had the Red Sox beating the Astros in game one of the LCS because Evaldi was pitching. Evaldi did not pitch, and it hadn't been announced at that point, or it got changed. Anyway, I took it as a loss. Saturday was the biggest winner of them all. Did you watch that Alabama game? I don't know how Alabama was only favored by 17. I told you they should be favored by 30, and they won by 40. That's a win. And now a few minutes about the Dolphin-Jaguars game. (laughs) How many of you woke up to watch NFL in London and were all excited? Dolphins, Jaguars, 930 in the morning, sold out, playing in Tottenham in their stadium of the EPL. How great it is for football. Two great teams going at it. Everyone cheering. Urban Oscar Meyer gets his first win on a brilliant play. Go back and look at the replay of the final fourth and eight with five seconds left that the Jaguars had in a tie game. And then ask yourself why Brian Flores, the coach of the Dolphins, has a job today. Just watch it and ask. Or the defensive coordinator. The way it works in football is a guy is down when his knee is down and he's touched by someone. If a guy's on the ground and you don't touch him, guess what? The play is not over. The Jaguars, on fourth and eight, instead of kicking a long field goal, did a quick inside slant from Trevor Lawrence. That worked. They get 10 yards, 15 yards. There's five seconds on the clock. Four, three, two, one. Player down. Player gets touched by a Dolphin defensive player, which means the play's over and the Jaguars can call a timeout. If the play's not over, you can't call a timeout and kick a game-winning field goal. Dolphins were favored by three and a half, and I have no clue. No clue why I would ever think the Dolphins could win a game. They didn't. So we're 133 and 117. Go back and look at that play, folks. You can find it on the YouTube, I'm sure. All right, today is Monday, October 18th, and we've got an LCS game tonight. We've got Red Sox-Astros. What a game the Red Sox had in game two. Were you watching that entire four-hour game? after it was 8 nothing after two innings, two grand slams. J.D. Martinez hits a grand slam in the first inning. Then Rafael Devers hits a grand slam in the second inning. And then everyone turns off the TV. So the game time for game two was about 17 minutes. Now that's a fast game. Of course, they had to play the rest of the game. Final score was, I don't know. It could have been 9-3, to 9-5. to five. What a way to make a living. I'm just getting by. It's all taking and no giving. But we are now at Fenway tonight. Red Sox are going to take a 2-1 lead. They've got Eduardo Rodriguez on the bump. The Astros are out of pitchers. Luis Garcia, their rookie starter, hurt his knee. He could be okay. Lance McCullers out. Zach Greinke, rich, not pitching. Where is Zach Greinke? Red Sox over Astros. 
Okay, I want to close the show with another update on our friends, the Washington football skins, and that absolute disaster of a Sean Taylor ceremony. It was breaking news on Thursday that they were going to retire the number. And we put it into the show because it was happening during the show, and that happens sometimes during tapings when Coco will yell in my ear and type stuff on a, on a living document. And all of a sudden, the Washington team got absolutely crushed because the family of Sean Taylor said, we didn't hear anything about this. The team came out and said, we've been planning it for months. I just want to give you a quick hint as to how this goes. The promotional calendar for a team gets chosen before the season starts. When you're going to retire a number, it's a huge deal. There's a process that the team goes through involving the owner, involving the president, involving the general manager. You involve your marketing department. You involve your licensees because you are going to make jerseys of that retired jersey for the retired jersey ceremony for people to buy when they're at the game to be available for sale on your website. You are going to be in touch with people who played with the person whose number is being retired so they can be a part of a ceremony. You speak to the family. You choreograph the event. You let the National Football League know about the event or Major League Baseball. It's a whole Megillah. And for whatever reason, none of that happened with Washington. And then I realized why. They put this together faster than a five-minute Manischewitz Passover cake. And the reason they put it together so quickly is they thought we'd be stupid enough to be distracted by the insanity that is surrounding WFT right now. But Jason Wright, their new president, had to apologize for the way in which they did this. That's all they do in Washington is apologize for what they've done and say it's going to get better. And then they apologize again for what they do after that. He said to our fans, I'm sorry. We're sorry. We will do better. Well, here's how the statement should have gone. To our fans in Washington, I would like to apologize for believing that you're all stupid. I'm no longer going to treat you like you are intellectually inferior and try to pull the sheep's wool over your eyes. Of course, you knew why we decided to retire Sean Taylor's number, being only the third in franchise history. Of course, you knew why we decided to announce it when we did. We're under a tremendous amount of public relations pressure and we felt as though that a bit of good news would be welcomed by our fans. But we underestimated you. We underestimated the reality that to us, it's just business. But as fans of our great team, sometimes it's personal. <laughs> Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. 
Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.